Once a year on a spring evening, Hollywood expresses its love for itself in the form of a statuette named Oscar. Each Oscar costs $250, but can be worth millions in fame, prestige, and hard cash at the box office. It is awarded by a tough jury, one's colleagues and competitors. Many factors can sway their decisions. Emotion, popularity, high-pressure publicity, and most important, recognition of outstanding achievement. But whatever the reason, this faceless figure is a goal of all who work in movies. The Oscars might be the biggest night in the entertainment calendar, but it's never just about honoring the best movies Hollywood has to offer. Over the course of its 91st year history, the Academy Awards has had its fair share of controversy and scandal. From an A-lister boycotts, full nudity to awkward musical numbers, and even awkward award mishaps. On today's episode, we touch on the dark secret scandals and also the ghosts of the Oscars. We will talk about the brief history of the Oscars and the 2019 Best Film nominations along with the silent and smear campaigns. Yes. We also bring up a nice ghost story about a haunted house on Rexford Drive in Beverly Hills that was owned by a famous Oscar nominee who saw a ghost was haunted by a ghost, and soon became a ghost himself. You definitely don't want to miss this crazy Hollyweird tale. We talk about this and much more in episode 31 of the Oscars Dark Secrets and Ghosts. So ladies and gentlemen, the award for best haunt goes to... Hey guys. Oh, hello. Hello. Do you have your couture dresses on? I didn't see you there. Do you have your jewelry? I do. Do you have your tux? Get you your heels? Mm, yes. <laughs> it's on backwards. A la Celine Dion. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, we're dressed up. We are all done up with the glow up because we're going to hmm. talk about one of the most famous award ceremonies in Hollywood. The Razzies. Uh, oh, wait. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The Academy Awards. Oh, those old things. Yeah, those old so-and-sos. Those, those little Oscars. Mm. I know. They make wonderful paperweights. Girl. Just saying. Put it in a bathroom. There you go. Let it hold your potpourri. Ah. <laughs> All right, guys. So um, it's uh, mid-February, and you know what's coming close? The Academy Awards. Yes. So yes, FYI, guys, it is 2019, so we'll be talking about the 2019 Academy Awards. Oh, we're touching on the nominations. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about the history, just a brief history on the Academy Awards, mm-hmm. um, the process of what goes on in the selection of um, the Academy Awards, how, you know, movies are voted, the people that are involved. Mm-hmm. But there's also a very dark, sticky and shady side the drama the drama because nothing in hollywood is like you know pretty much black and white it's like very shady i have 
a lot of opinions. <laughs> Bryce has a lot of things. And I, oh, I feel like every episode I'm like, I'm not gonna, and I'm <laughs> actually not even gonna promise because I'm gonna get real political. So I'm sorry in advance. I'm sure it's really annoying. Just buckle up because I have a lot of opinions and they're, you know, pretty specific. <laughs> And we'll talk about it. We will. Because it's our podcast. It's our lowest podcast episode ever. They're like, we're not listening. Fair enough. uh, Yeah, it's fine. If you don't want to listen, then don't listen. I'm sorry. (laughs) So um, following the Oscar tale, we have another Paranormal Association to the Academy Awards. So I found this amazing story on a blog post by Lori Jacobson, a part of the BritannicaBlog.com, which talks about a haunted house in Beverly Hills that was inhabited by a famous Oscar winner and nominee. Glenn Close. (laughs) (laughs) No? Actor Clifton Webb, who oh wow, who bought the house, lived in the house, and never left the house even after his death. Yeah. The many other famous Oscar nominees and winners that moved into the house and experienced some unexplainable Whoa. craziness. Woo! Yeah, so you don't want to miss that story. That's a really juicy tale, and we'll get into that soon. So let's get started, shall we? Yeah. All right, guys, let's roll out the red carpet. According to HistoryExtra.com, the Academy Awards was founded by Louis B. Mayer, head of MGM Studios, and not, you know, not a favorite person of ours, especially after what he did to little... Judy. Judy Garland. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Baby gum. So in 1927, the Academy of Motion Pictures and Arts uh, and Sciences was intended as a non-profit organization with the goal of of advancing the film industry. Now, the first Academy Award ceremony took place two years later at the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel. And this happened on May 16th of 1929. Hmm. Get this. Tickets for the private dinner and affair was five dollars i mean in fairness at the time at the time which is now like 500 it's still yeah Yeah. pretty good and the presentation ceremony hosted by douglas fairbanks actor and first president of the academy and get this the ceremony only lasted 15 minutes if only and now it lasts like how many hours 15 hours (laughs) a century zero dark 30 hours later (laughs) so it is a pretty long award ceremony i've had friends who attended and they're like girl we like we were told to pack bars in our purses Mm -hmm. i said why well don't you get like drinks and hors d'oeuvres beforehand she's like (laughs) this is not the golden globes right no 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 they make you starve Mm -hmm. we gotta look skinny for the oscars exactly we need to fit into that couture dress i mean that's the thing that's always so funny to me is like when you're watching them on television it is like one in the afternoon that's true because of the east coast feed Mm -hmm. but like if you're going to bed at you know what i mean like they're going from like one until like I mean, the parties themselves go until, like, the next day. At right. Work, so, girl. Mm-hmm. So, the winners had already been announced to the media several months earlier. And now, this is still part of, like, mm-hmm, their old mm-hmm. system. And it wasn't until 1941 that the Academy reverted to the sealed envelope format, with both audiences and the media finding out the results at the same time. Drama. Very much so. So, the Academy Awards ceremony is now 
televised in over 100 countries, and those who love cinema tune in to see how their favorite movies and performers fare. Hmm. Now, those who love fashion watch to see what the celebrities are wearing, which is often the latest in couture with astronomically expensive and loaned jewelry. Yeah, have a story you, ooh, story time you ready it. for this mm-hmm. so guys this is what happens when you work in the styling field mm-hmm. so a couple years ago i worked for a celebrity stylist by the name of natalie marks hi. hi and i worked for her for two and a half years oh, wow. and she was really cool and she had a really large and very famous like list of clientele so we were called to dress Julie Pleck, who is the writer of vampire diaries Amazed. and she has a group a very close group of friends that wrote the movie Argo. Oh, wow. So we get to her place. She lives in Beverly Hills. So we get to her house, beautiful house, beautiful person, by the way, really sweet woman. Very rare in this industry to meet someone that, you know, it's a human being. So um, we're dressing her. It's fun. And um, FYI, when you're an assist, when you're assisting a stylist, you are pretty much a gopher. Yes. You're a bitch. That's fair. (laughs) You are... Like Lassie, you got to go fetch the dresses. You got to pick up these dresses. During the fitting, I'm asked by Natalie to go pick up her jewelry. So we were able to get Julie this amazing jewelry set from this famous jewelry designer in Beverly Hills. So fortunately, the designer has his shop five minutes away from Julie's place. Mm -hmm. And I'm getting my purse. I'm like, oh, great. I'm I'm just going to go down the street. And Natalie comes to me and she says, you're going to have to be escorted from the jewelry yeah the jewelry place oh sure to the house and i'm like what do you mean she said um just just let you know the jewelry is really expensive Mm -hmm. and i'm like how expensive she's like it's worth i think like 1.3 million you know just a little brisk million chump change just chump change so i get to the place and of course like every other business in beverly hills it's just you know beautiful people dressed so nicely and i'm like in my sweats and i'm like um Hey, I'm here for, you know, Natalie Mark and picking up jewelry for jewelry. <laughs> so I pick up the jewelry. They're like, before you go, um, you need to leave us with your driver's license, your address, your social, everything. They're not messing your, You up, know, right. a draw of your blood or something, yeah. an eyelash, a hair sample, First a urine born. sample, yeah. things like that. And then they're like, okay, so we're going to have these two escorts um, follow you to your car and they're going to follow you to her house. And it's like these two, one for one, like amazing looking men in suits. And they get into this like black, you know, SUV and they follow me in my car. And I'm just thinking, I'm literally, I literally have like $1.3 million of jewelry in my hand. They, I feel like that's the kind of thing that they do because they have been burned before. Oh yes. There've been times where Natalie and I have, and I'm not going to say her name. We styled this one particular actress who was in a famous movie. And once she refused to pay us because she thought by working for her, that was enough. And second, Ew. oh, and gets better. And second, she ended up like stealing like $3,500 worth of jewelry that we had loaned her from a firm, from a PR agency. Damn. Yeah. like Meryl, how could you? I'm going to get sued. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was... It was an, it's interesting, guys. Mm-hmm. You'd be surprised how people think in this town. So I, I get to her house. I'm like holding on to this jewelry. I'm praying to God, please don't trip. Don't drop it. And I get to the house and I turn around. I'm looking at them. I'm like, is, are we good? Like, is this fine? 
And then I go into the house and Natalie's like, oh, you got the jewelry. I'm like, that was just the most interesting experience I've ever had in my life. Like, I love being followed by handsome men in suits. Me too. Right. I know. While holding like $1.3 million in my hand. So it was this like beautiful like diamond and sapphire set that we put her in. And it was like this necklace that had a matching bracelet and these beautiful dropped earrings. And oh, she looked gorgeous. I love that. And then the next day I get a call from the, you know, jewelry store. They're like, um, so you're due back here by noon with the jewelry and i'm like oh, okay so they're like uh, yeah you have an appointment here by noon to deliver back the jewelry i'm like oh yeah because while everyone who attended the oscars is sleeping off their hangovers while us stylists are still working right you know picking up after them yes so that is my story of styling for the love oscars. it gotta love the cogs in the machine right we all have a part to play yes so here is the lowdown on how the Academy Awards work. Now, a film must open in the previous calendar year in L.A. County to qualify for the next year's Academy Awards ceremony. Now, the one exception to this is the best foreign language film. Mm. Often, if movie makers think they have an award winner on their hands, they'll release a movie in the last week of the year to qualify for the upcoming awards, such as Silver Lining Playbook, which released in like on December 25th of 2012 and was nominated for Best Picture and other Oscars in January of for 2013. some reason. Yes. That's right. Shade. That's right. We'll go into it soon. Conversely, the 2009 Best picture winner the hurt locker was first released in 2008 but it didn't release in la county until until 2009 so it won its best picture award in 2010 we'll touch on that very soon Mm -hmm. in late december all academy members received ballots to select nominees for the next ceremony so for most categories academy members vote for only their peers directors vote for their nominees for best director actors vote for their nominees for best actor and actress the exceptions to this are for foreign film documentary and animated feature film categories which are nominated by special committees made up Mm. of members across the Academy and all members are allowed to vote for nominees for the coveted best best picture award. Now for weeks, filmmakers have been putting their best feet forward, mingling socially Mm. at cocktail parties and potentially answering the same questions over and over again at Q and A's and film screenings. But at the same time behind the scenes, there's a different conversation taking place. There is a different system to the Academy Awards and how these films get voted, how they get publicized, and how they get promoted for the awards. Yes. And we're going to be talking about two different campaigns where we just have a regular campaign. Yes. It runs like a presidential campaign and what they call a silent or smear campaign. Yes. Well, I mean, there is that famous like quote that like it's not the talent it's not the people that win the awards it's Mm -hmm. the pr firms that win the awards right and that is very true i have a friend who works for a very famous pr firm which Mm -hmm. i don't think i'm allowed to say uh the name of because it's like pretty not underhanded but it's very hands-off but they are very like my friend is like if you have the money we have an oscar for you like it's our job to win the Oscar. So if you pay us, you'll win. I'm like, damn. Damn. Mm-hmm. That's how it is. But it really Money is. Money talks. And it's not that like they're buying the Oscar per se, mm-hmm. but it's everything outside of the actual performance. Right. 
that wins the Oscar. Right. And that's just not for the movie category. That's also like that pertains to like the actors mm-hmm. being nominated, the actresses mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Because I've heard some rumors, rumors to get started for a reason. Sure. There have been some actors and actresses who've paid for that Oscar. Guaranteed. Oh, yeah. Most likely. Every action between like November until February by anyone in the movie industry is mm-hmm. for the awards. Like, I don't care, especially like. I think such a funny example is for put or sorry, uh, Precious, based on the novel Push by Sapphire. Um, and if you watch any of the footage from that award season with like all the quote unquote non campaigning mm-hmm. that was being done, and yeah. like thank you for letting it be about the work and not like that is still a way to campaign. So like, yeah, you could say like. Well, that's not fair because then you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Right. But I'm sorry, like not campaigning and being very vocal about mm-hmm. not quote unquote campaigning mm-hmm. is a kind of campaigning. So that's like in my mind the perfect example of like, oh, they saw what was up. They knew that they had a really good chance, especially like best supporting actress. And they like ran with it and it yeah. worked. It's true. Shade. Shade. Now, according to Hollywood Reporter, the dirty tactics of the Oscar season are something of a open secret in Hollywood. Although few are willing to point fingers or names, Weinstein, for example, let's just look at Weinstein, is or was the producer with the most dirt attached to him, with Peter Binskin documenting in his book, Down and Dirty Pictures, The Myriad of Ways Now, in his book, Merrimax took on its competition. And in 2002, Biskin writes, when Merrimax's in the bedroom went up against a beautiful mind, Mm. they reportedly engineered a smear campaign. Unprecedented in the history of the Academy Awards for its vivaciousness. Now, mostly related to John Nash's alleged homosexuality and accusations of anti-semitism it didn't work so a beautiful mind won best picture but it's a tactic that has yielded success in the past Mm. knock down your opponent and make sure voters know there's a viable alternative in your film so yeah so the so the campaign is primed for winning an oscar Mm. but it must be back up backed up by worthy material of course so that doesn't necessarily mean that the film has to be the worthiest in terms of merit many argue that the merit has nothing to do with the oscars process so this is where the use of oscar bait as a term becomes tricky often it's employed as a catchment phrase to define all autumn releases that aren't blockbusters as such the term is frequently given to films that have similar markers of a baity film but are far too distant from the formula to qualify. Mm. So take it, for example, Pablo's Lorraine's Jackie, starring mm-hmm. Natalie Portman, who deemed Oscar bait due to its biopic nature and leading performance, but that is surrounded by a film utterly unlike its contemporaries that's too dreamlike and unsettling to be dismissed as begging for awards. I think she was robbed that year. I believe, I, I agree. She is... If you have not seen that movie, she is a whirlwind performance. I mean, she really is incredible in that mm-hmm. movie. I think it's better work than even she did in Black Swan, which she actually won the Oscar for. Right. So, like, robbery. But fine. I get it. Biopics are very often deemed Oscar bait. So, whatever. <laughs> now, I'm going to insert 
This little clip that I found on YouTube from one of my favorite YouTubers and channels, Philip DeFranco. Hi. And he's awesome. You go, you guys should go check out his channel. So one of his researchers, um, Alyssa Shinicki, had an interview with two Hollywood insiders, two big Hollywood insiders, Pete Hammond from Dateline and Tim Grafe of Variety. And this is what they have to say about the infamous smear or silent campaigns. Whisper campaign. It's the best way to bring down an enemy if you don't want to get your hands dirty. But what is a whisper campaign? Well, the Academy actually has rules about campaigning for an award, and these rules clearly state you cannot actively campaign against another film. So instead, Hollywood turns to whispers and rumors. What do I mean? Well, last year, as the race heated up, there was talk that The Shape of Water stole its plot, but that eventually turned out to be untrue. Last year with, with The Shape of Water, I think the week of final voting, somebody filed a plagiarism suit against it saying, oh my God, it totally stole the plot. But if you read the play, it's like, it's not that similar. I mean, it's it's about a, a, a woman janitor and somebody in a lab experiment. That's a, that's about it. Uh, you know, and then, and then they were citing things. Like, oh yeah, she dances with her mop. And it's like, yeah, that, that was not a key moment in the, in the movie. That suit Tim mentioned was actually filed 10 days before the Academy Awards, despite director Guillermo del Toro saying he had never even heard of the play. Eventually, the lawsuit was dismissed by a federal judge who found the two works explored primarily different themes. But these negative campaigns aren't anything new. They happen every year. So let's look at another whisper campaign in the case of Zero Dark Thirty. In 2013, Zero Dark Thirty was up for Best Picture. The movie was about the decade-long hunt for Osama bin Laden. But a month before the Oscars, the U.S. Senate Intelligence Committee opened up an investigation to look into the correspondence between CIA officials and the filmmakers. The investigation was supposed to find whether the CIA gave the movie's director, Catherine Bigelow, and screenwriter Mark Bull inappropriate access to secret material. It was also supposed to explore whether CIA agents were responsible for the betrayal of brutal interrogation techniques and the implication that torture was effective in the movie. When the investigation was announced, there was even talk that Bigelow and others would be called to testify before the Senate. And the announcement of this investigation garnered a ton of media coverage. Zero Dark Thirty is causing another type of storm on Capitol Hill. Rarely does a movie generate so much controversy before it hits the theaters. There was a huge controversy and an investigation was begun about you receiving classified material. The movie wasn't able to shake the negative attention and Zero Dark Thirty eventually lost Best Picture to Argo. But what followed the day after the 2013 Oscars still has some people wondering. Literally the day after the Oscars, the Senate subcommittee said, no, never mind, we're dropping these charges. And so you think, okay, I mean, there were a lot of rivals in, in the race that year uh, with strong Washington, D.C. connections. So I'm thinking, oh, somebody pulled some strings to get this to happen. Although, we have to note here, it's never been confirmed that another film pulled any strings to get the Senate to investigate Zero Dark Thirty. But obviously, the timing has still left some people in Hollywood with questions. We researched this piece before nominations were announced for this year's awards, but whispers, gossip, and negative stories have already started. So let's take a look at what's floating around in Hollywood. It's going on this year with every movie. Green Book is, you know, a wonderful movie that's being being vilified by a certain section because it's winning and it's doing well and uh, it's a threat. These whisper campaigns only go on by movies that are perceived as a threat to other things. So they're very subtle and they actually hire people to do whisper campaigns. A publicist can get on a movie solely to just sort of go around to um, influencers and things and say, you know, 
Yeah, I really love that movie, Green Book. But, you know, what is it about the family complaining about it? Black Klansman, I was on the phone with somebody yesterday who was saying, you know, I got some problems about him making light of that kind of situation, you know, uh, in that movie. Bohemian Rhapsody. It's not gay enough. It's not telling the truth of who Freddie Mercury was. Well, that's not the movie they made. They made a PG-13 celebration of Queen. They did not make a movie that's going to go into the dark places that maybe Freddie Mercury did in his life or whatever. That was not what they intended to do. The favorite being criticized for mixing up its history and that they didn't all actually live in that time. Now, remember how I said the reason these whisper campaigns exist is because the Academy has rules about campaigning against an opponent? Well, Hollywood has gotten so good at these negative campaigns that only once has someone been caught and punished for actively campaigning against another film. It happened in 2009. And I'm going to let Pete tell this one because he's actually the one who broke this story. In 2009, when The Hurt Locker was up against Avatar and the um, uh, Hurt Locker producer um, Nicholas Chartier was sending out emails that I got a hold of. I was at the LA Times at the time. I got a hold of that said, don't vote for that you know, movie, that big movie, vote for us. I found another email, a follow-up email, where he said, don't vote for that $500 million movie, referring to Avatar, vote for The Hurt Locker. And that is absolutely forbidden. After the emails Pete found became public, for the first time in its history, the Academy banned a nominee from attending the Oscars. The story quickly became huge in Hollywood, and some worried Chartier had ruined The Hurt Locker's chances at Best Picture. But The Hurt Locker did end up winning, and Chartier got his Oscar. And there you have it. Teen Shade Pink Lemonade. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, shocking, right? Like, pretty crazy. It is and it isn't. Mm-hmm. Like, it. I think you said it, and it is that sort of phenomenon of, like, best kept secret or, like, most open secret. I forget how you worded it, but it was so perfect of just, like, it is shocking that these things can happen, but, like, does I'm not that surprised. Like, of course this shit happens. Right. Shady bitches. Shady, shady bitches. Now, most whisper campaigners are too smart to diss the competition publicly. Mm. And they've even been careful not to commit disparaging thoughts to email, which can easily be forwarded. And that was the mistake, like they mentioned in the Hurt Locker Do producer. Not leave a paper trail. Right. Producer Nicholas Cartier made in 2010 when he emailed friends urging them to vote for his movie rather than the $500 million film avatar of the mm-hmm. time that resulted in the academy banning him from the oscar ceremony which was crazy i mean so i always wonder too like i feel like sometimes it does backfire and mm-hmm. it's like well it becomes so notorious that people want to see it anyway and then mm-hmm. like you said if the work holds up they might vote for it as like the dark horse right even though it's all fake mm-hmm. allegation right hmm. don't believe everything that you read and see mm-hmm. And with nearly everyone engaged in a little bad-mouthing to one degree or another, Mm -hmm. rare is the industry figure willing to stand up and challenge the negative tactics. As happened in what we talked about in The Beautiful Mind, which was the favorite to win Best Picture back in 2002. As voting came down to the wire, the Drudge Report ran a couple of stories accusing the filmmakers of whitewashing the biopic about mathematician John Nash by avoiding allegations that he was homosexual and or anti-Semitic. So Stacey Snyder, then chairman of Universal Pictures, chose to take those stories head on, telling the Hollywood Reporter at the time lines that should be clear to all of us have recklessly been crossed. And though she declined 
trying to finger a suspect, she added, I have chosen to try to appeal to our competitors on a personal level to urge them to not tumble down that moral slope. But during the decade since... Um, such scruples have largely evaporated mm. and with the internet amplifying every charge and countercharge, nearly every awards helpful is forced to run the gauntlet mm-hmm. up until now. Yeah, I mean, we kind of, it mentions it in this interview and it's a little bit of a slippery slope, I think, mm-hmm. but I personally very much do not like the Freddie Mercury picture because it doesn't talk about his homosexuality mm-hmm. and I get what the man was saying is like that's not the movie they made they made like a PG version right but then my counter to that is like well then they shouldn't have done that right like, it is a kind of whether it's intentional or not I think it is intentional it is a further marginalization of an already marginalized community like mm-hmm. he died of AIDS like I don't care complications related to it's fine um i don't care what you want to say but like not including that in this particular story is a whitewashing and so like i didn't see that movie for that specific reason so whether that originated because it was a smear campaign a whisper campaign is low-key irrelevant to me like here we go i said i was gonna get political there you go because like you don't get to erase that part of his history right and i get it he's like well that's not the movie they made they wanted to like sell money and sell tickets to like families who can like go and enjoy queen music and like do not get me started on rami malek i'm obsessed with him he's such a good actor any way he wants it (laughs) like obsessed but at the end of the day you're making more money because you're erasing a part that you know will appear appeal to a broader audience and it's an erasure of history hence i did not go see that movie nor do i think it should be nominated soapbox (laughs) complete (laughs) so like i get it especially like you look at such a good example of beautiful mind yes that is probably like a little bit more of like a negative smear campaign yeah and you can say like well that really wasn't the movie they were making and it still had the rating that it had and la la but I just think it's such a slippery slope when you start erasing the parts of the especially historical biopics mm-hmm. that don't sell to middle America. Then it's like, ew, that's like a gross thing you're doing. Yeah. It's no bueno. <sighs> and we're seeing this. I, I feel like there are whisper campaigns for Bohemian Rhapsody. Totally. There are some for Black Klansmen. Mm-hmm. Ugh, obsessed with that movie, though. The Favorite, Green Book, Green Book has a lot of tea circulating, and it's not that good. I mean, even according to IndieWire, the Green Book character's family condemns films' hurtful lies based on Maharshala's Ali uh, apologies. So Mm. I think I butchered it. Maharshala. Mahershala Ali. He is. So Maharshala Ali apologizes to the family of the character that he was portraying in the Green Book. So according to IndieWire, the reason why is um, Peter Farley's Green Book has always been the subject of one controversy over its magical, this is what I quote, magical Negro storyline. But the movie now finds itself at the center of another family members of pianist Dr. Donald W. Shirley, who is played in the film by Mahir Shala Ali, have criticized the film for what they say are narrative 
falsehoods. In an extension interview with Shadow and Act, Dr. Shirley's nephew, Edwin Shirley III, and brother Maurice Shirley call out the film for twisting truths and manipulating the friendship between Dr. Shirley that is um, portrayed by Ali and chauffeur Tony Lip Valaglongo, played by Vigo Mortensen. Mm, Another one that I'm just obsessed with. Yes. But I always wonder, like, how... How much rope do you get when you say based on a true story? Right. Because that's the thing is like, well, it's not a documentary. And so I guess this is also the counter to my counter mm-hmm. is like, but it's not a documentary it's about still, Freddie yeah, Mercury. Exactly. So like, this is so it, it's a very multifaceted, multi-headed monster mm-hmm. because it's like, yeah, you're right. That is a valid point their relationship, the fabrications, all of that. But again, it's not a documentary. It's not a historical piece in that way. It's an adaptation. And like how much leeway do you get as a storyteller? I don't have a good answer for that, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. And like the family is, of course, I think the authority we should defer to. Right. But I don't know. What a mess. It's like, you know, it's like a presidential election, a, a, you know, campaign where they're going to dig a lot of dirt and surface that, you know, to put it against, you know, totally. each candidate. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that is the stickiness of the Oscars, guys. That's yeah. like pretty much like the low key, you know, dirt that we have found mm-hmm. on the Academy Awards. Well, and I think in the interview, they talk about where the very confusing best picture structure makes it so that it's honestly not probably the actual best picture if there were some kind of formula. Right. That wins, it's the least hated, which is kind of a sad indictment. But I think about like films that have one in the past that really don't hold up we kind of watch them now and they're like a little hokey or a little dated in a non-classical kind of way (laughs) like i i mean i'm sure i'm gonna get some like pushback on this but i am always sort of aghast that the artist won best picture like it just was not my cup of tea like there's a lot of tea with that i remember and i just was like same thing like we talked a little bit like silver linings playbook and then like american hustle after i'm just like really like mm-hmm. okay i don't know like i guess maybe i just don't get it which is a very real possibility <laughs> but it's just like you kind of look back i think gandhi is a really good example of yeah. that and you look at that performance and it does not hold up it's super racially tinged now and yeah. we like realize like maybe that wasn't the best way to portray this story right. and like at the time it was lauded as this like groundbreaking work mm-hmm. of the times and right. now it's like ooh. No, that should not be celebrated. Right. But it still kind of is, if you know. Totally. What I mean. Oh, 100%. yeah. 100%. I oh, mean, yeah. this, this is it. how we'll be talking in 10 years about what's <laughs> winning today. So, yeah, 100%. We've just seen it happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, we have the nominations already here in front of us the 2019 yes. Oscar nominations. So, Best Picture Black Panther was nominated, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book. Roma, A Star is Born, and Vice. What do you think? Well, I've only, I haven't seen some still. I have mm-hmm. some screeners that oh, I'm nice. still like trying to work through. <laughs> you know, it's really hard when you go to bed at six thirty to watch a movie. But um, 
some of them I obviously agree with more. I think Black Klansman is like a work of genius. I right. could not be more obsessed with that movie. Mm-hmm. I think Black Panther being nominated for Best Picture reeks a tiny bit, and this is very much not my place to say. So, like, if I'm wrong, I'm happy to admit that, but it kind of seems like tokenism. I think it being nominated for, like, the other awards that it is nominated for mm-hmm. is absolutely deserved. Oh, yeah. All the technical awards. It should literally win oh, every absolutely. costume and design and sound award mm-hmm. and song for sure. I don't know that it should be the best picture. I don't mm-hmm. know that I think Marvel deserves those kinds of accolades yet or right. ever. Um, so, again, like if I'm wrong on that as a white cis male, like 100% happy to admit that. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I don't know. I think there's some good and some bad, just like every year. Last year was kind of an eh year for oh me. Oh, my God. Can we touch on last year yeah. just for a second? La La Land up against? That was two years ago. Oh, was that two years ago? Last year was Fish Girl. What was it called? Fish Shape of Water. Oh, Shape of Water. <laughs> <laughs> I could not remember it. The only thing that I'll say is that last year, the fact that Octavia Spencer was not immediately handed an Oscar and right. every award for having to react, believably, to the fish penis... Give her every award ever because it's the weirdest part of that movie. I was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, two years ago was La La Land. That was it. I, get, I mean, I, we just talked about it, how time just goes by so oh, quickly. I kept on thinking it's last year. No, no, it was, you're right. Shape of Water. But yes, La La Land, Warren Beatty, Moonlight. Poor Warren Beatty. He really got the brunt of what was not his fault. Right. Like he didn't mess up the teleprompter he didn't mess up the envelope that is not on him he just was like the lightning rod that got the shock Mm -hmm. but also i could not like la la land less it is not my movie i do not like it it should not have been whatever fine but this sort of like weird if you watch the clip they opened the envelope they knew what they were doing (laughs) they like did their whole acceptance speech right and then we're like oops there was a mistake fuck you (laughs) i hate that like it's so oh no time's up like moonlight doesn't get to have its spotlight yeah they ruined that spotlight That's for moonlight very intentional right I don't care what you like you can see him he like looks at the envelope and like lets his co-producer continue the acceptance speech mm-hmm. but oh moonlight is such a good movie it was it deserved that award i just cry like a little baby oh it's so good yeah it is let boys be gay oh. <laughs> All right, guys, so we are going to move forward with the paranormal aftermath. Good, because I think they're tired of hearing You're me. Like, okay. They're like, can he get off his liberal no. soapbox? <laughs> Fair. Sorry, friends. Sorry if you were not here for this. But we have a little ghost tale that I found in relation to our Oscar ceremony. Now, here's a fascinating blog post by Lori Jacobson, straight Hi. out of britannicablog.com she wrote a story about a haunted home in beverly hills that was inhabited by a few oscar nominees and winners so it starts off with this actor clifton webb a two-time oscar nominee shown um in the barbara stanwick movie of titanic he was the starring role of that is one of the few who saw a ghost live with the ghost and later became a ghost the trifecta 
Exactly. It all happened in Beverly Hills in a stucco house north of Sunset Boulevard and the kind of home people live in at the pentacles of their careers. Now, set back from the street in the heart of Beverly Hills, it was a home to many celebrities and the frequent setting for lavish parties and for ghosts. Damn. Now, built in 1921 by silent screen director Arthur Rawson, the house went to Rawson's wife Lucille when they divorced. She married Oscar-winning director who we low-key loathe, Victor Fleming, a.k.a. director of Wizard of Oz mm. and Gone with the Wind. Uh, bless. And then leased the house out. Amongst the tenants were glamorous German actress Marlene Dietrich, Ugh. Bay, and for show. Oh, for show. And Met- Metropolitan opera star Grace Moore. Ooh. Moore, a vivacious blonde soprano, had also starred on Broadway before being lured to Hollywood to star in a string of successful musicals that helped popularize opera. And Miss Moore. So Moore loved to entertain on Rexford Drive and often hosted lively parties where she danced the night away. In 1934, she was nominated for an Oscar for her enduring performance in One Night of Love. Mm. In 1947, at the height of her fame, Moore was killed in a plane crash over Copenhagen. Damn. Yeah. The Victor Flemings sold the house in 1943 to the superlative character, actor, and Oscar nominee, Gene Lockhart. Oh, wow. He, with actress wife Kathleen and daughter June, also entertained joyously in the house. A frequent guest, Clifton Webb, appeared in a smattering of of silent films, but found stardom on the stages of London and Broadway. So in 1944, at 53, Webb returned to the screen after 20 years in Laura and received an Academy Award nomination. So he received a Best Supporting nomination again two years later in The Razor's Edge Mm. and two years after that in Sitting Pretty. Now, Webb adored the Rexford Drive house and talked Lockhart into selling it to him. The fastidious Webb moved in with his mother, Maybelle, in 1947, which is adorable. I love that. Yeah, move in with my mom. So Webb and Maybelle played host to some of the world's most creative people, just as the Lockharts and more before them. Now, Webb confided to friends that he'd seen Moore's ghost more than once in the house. Damn. And when Maybelle passed away in 1959, Webb saw her presence in the house as well. Mm. And several days before he died in October of 1966, Webb predicted, I'm not leaving this house, even at death. Damn, that is some Grey Gardens bullshit. <laughs> like, mm-mm, honeybee. <laughs> the only way I leave Grey Gardens is feet first. Oh, scandalous. Scandalous. Now, in 1967, the house was purchased by Joyce Haber, a powerful gossip colonist who replaced the late Hedda Hopper at the LA Times and her husband Douglas Kramer, a successful producer with shows like Love American Style, The Brady Bunch, and The Odd Couple. Just to name a few. Those old things. Considered one of Hollywood's bright young couples, the Kramers carried on the home's long tradition of lavish entertaining. So several times while enjoying drinks by the pool, Doug and Joyce caught sight of a swaying figure in the master bedroom. Damn. According to them, it was a dark, transparent shadow that's the size and shape of Clifton Webb. 
recalls Doug. I never saw it up close as Joyce did. I only saw it through a window when I was outside. I didn't see clothes or details, but he always resembled Clifton and he seemed to be ageless. So Doug also saw shadows in the hallway, the size and shape of Maybelle, Clifton's mom, and Doug's dogs confirmed his sightings reacting to cold spots in that hallway. Interesting. Always trust the dogs. An area insomniac web paced outside his mother's bedroom. They would not go near the cold spots in the hallway without barking enormously and often urinating on the spot. Damn. Dogs know. Dogs know. They have that sixth sense and is strong. So lights went out on and off. A cold presence attacked a maid on several occasions, according to the couple. On a hunch, Joyce brought home one of Webb's films. Now, when the dogs saw Clifton's image on the screen, all three began howling. No. Now, no. Yes. Yeah, so they knew. They knew oh right then God. and there something was up. So to investigate further, Joyce held a seance with a good group of friends of Clifton's including witty playwright Garson Kanan and his wife, Oscar winner Ruth Gordon. Now, future Oscar winner producer Dick Zunek and several others attended. Now, the seance convinced them all that Clifton was in the house, Doug confirmed, and the medium Sybil Leak did become Clifton in mood and spirit and intent, and most particularly in language and dialect. Wow. So she told things that only... They knew about Clifton, things that Sybil could never have known. And when asked why he stayed, this is so sad, he replied, as most actors would, because I'm afraid I'll be forgotten. Oh, that is our greatest fear. fear to be forgotten. Mm -hmm. After the seance, neither Clifton nor Maybelle were seen in the house again. Even the dogs stopped barking in the hallway. Whoa. And the Kramers divorced and sold the house in the 1970s. Subsequent owners reported apparitions of a couple dancing in the front entry hall. They felt it was Clifton, but were unclear whether the shadowy woman was Maybelle or Grace Moore, whoever the last waltz played for the couple when the Rexford Drive house was raised and replaced by more modern digs. Since it was the house, not the land that Clifton, Maybelle, and Moore loved so much, their spirits have disappeared with it, but Clifton's spirit apparently still seeking immorality has been seen pacing the long marble corridor of the mausoleum he shares with Maybelle at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Damn. Still unable to sleep. Wow. So that is the famous haunted house on Rexford Drive. That's amazing. Especially how many people are connected to the Oscars, that like chain of producers exactly. and actors. And that's crazy. But that seance, you know, that couple, Joyce was really smart to bring the closest friends of Clifton to participate in the seance because of course they would, you know, they've known him right. for they such a long time. They would yeah. recognize his exactly. speech. And, yeah. That's crazy. The speech and what the same, like what the, um, you know, the psychic had to say, you know, things that probably some of them knew, you know, in silence with Clifton mm. only they would have known you know do love that smart very smart and if you want to learn more about the famous haunted Hollywood theaters that surround the Dolby theater be sure to check out episode 13 on our famous haunted Hollywood
Hollywood theaters episode. Yes. We go into detail about the Pantages that is haunted by Howard Hughes, the Pacific Warner Theater haunted by John Warner, and the Palace Theater haunted by an old projectionist, and the Sid Groman Chinese Theater that is haunted by Sid himself, and an old stagehand that doesn't like you being around his area backstage. No, he does not. No, no, me focus as well. All right, guys. So that is our short little Oscar episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And we hope that you tune in into the Oscars this month. Yes. Do you want to hear one final little story? Yes, please. I have a friend (laughs) and he has made me swear and I will uphold my end of the bargain. Mm -hmm. But he has made me promise that if I ever get a vote for the Oscars that he gets to cast my vote. And I have told him that he can have it. I know, because he's like obsessed with the Oscars. Oh, wow. He's seen every picture that's ever won Best Picture already. No way. And he's in the process, or was, of watching every film that's ever been nominated for any category. Oh, wow. He has the best taste in film of anyone I know. So, hi, Matt. You get my my vote. Well, that was a good story. Well, guys, we have one spiritual bay in particular that we want to make a shout out to. YouTuber Kelsey Davies. Hi. Go check out her YouTube channel, guys. She's really, really awesome. Yes. She's very talented. She's a dancer, writer, uh, storyteller, and yes, even a paranormal investigator. Love. So um, we ran into a little incident at David Oman's house not too long ago, actually a couple of weeks ago, that she kind of documented and talks about in one mm-hmm. of her episodes. So go and tune in and give her a like, give her a sub, comment, show her some love. She's really cool. Yeah. She follows us on Instagram. Hi. And um, we love her scary videos. She documents a lot of her paranormal investigations of the David Omen house. We endure her scary we videos. We <laughs> do. And also, don't forget to even check out our David Omen house episode. Yes. If you're like, who's David Omen on episode 23 as well. So, guys, um, just as a little closer, if you're, you know, not doing much, you know, you love Hollywood Paranormal, we, you know, just love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. It really does help us out a lot, and it helps us become a little more visible. And if you can't get enough of Hollyweird Paranormal, then stalk us on our Instagram and Facebook at Hollyweird Paranormal and Twitter at HWP Podcast. And if you have any stories, questions, or little, you know, tidbits that you want to throw our way, you can definitely contact us over our Gmail at HollyweirdParanormal at gmail.com. I feel like we're going to get a lot. Please make Bryce stop going on no. liberal <laughs> propaganda rants. And the answer is I will not stop. Nope. Sorry. No, sorry, not sorry. I'm a little sorry. It's, <laughs> I'm sure, a lot to handle. So, my bad. So, catch up with our best episodes on Blueberry, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, CastBox, and Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast listening fix, okay? A gramophone. A gramophone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Till next time. Where are we going to do our next episode on, Bryce? I don't know. Something <laughs> haunted. The Razzies? <laughs> Ooh, I do love the Razzies. Yes. All haunted right. by the ghost of your past performance. Ooh, that was not a good performance. Bless. Yes, haunted by bad acting. All right, guys. Till next time. Bye. Always stay Hollywood. Bye. Bye.